If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. It's December 1st. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the White House is claiming that MAGA Republicans want to give tax cuts to the very rich with rates lower than a school teacher. But is that true? I've got a fact check coming up. Second, your grocery bills might be going up all because of a secret deal about dams in the Pacific Northwest. I'll explain that connection. Third, updates for you out of Saudi Arabia, Ukraine, and Taiwan, where the president there said that a war with China is unlikely anytime soon for a reason that might surprise you. Later, a note of gratitude to you all. You make this podcast what it is, and I want to remind us of that. But before we get to all of that, let's get to our top stories of the morning. The White House is blasting MAGA Republicans again today following Mr. Biden's attacks yesterday in the state of Colorado. And here is his argument again this morning. He says that while he and his fellow Democrats want to build the economy for the working class from the from the bottom up, Republicans want the opposite. Quote, the Speaker of the House, Donald Trump, and the MAGA Republicans in Congress are committed to protecting outrageous tax cuts for those at the very top, end quote. He went on to blast the GOP for its trickle-down economics, which, by the way, is a phrase that was first used back in the 1980s, and it was a good thing back then, but no longer. Biden says that MAGA Republicans are using that naughty trickle-down economic stuff to protect the rich. Billionaires and millionaires, they say, especially whose average tax rates, he claimed, are at 3%. And that number, he said, is less than a school teacher or a firefighter. Well, that would be remarkable, if true. But it's not. So here's what we know. As noted by the fact checker called PolitiFact, Mr. Biden has used this number of 3% before to describe tax rates for the rich. Although I should say sometimes he has said 8%, but in either case, three or eight, he is incorrect. Indeed, the 25 highest earning billionaires in America paid an average tax rate of 16%, according to PolitiFact, with other billionaires paying closer to 23%. Meanwhile, for millionaires and others in the top 1% of America's income levels, IRS data show the average federal income tax rate is at 25%. On the other hand, For those who earned under $100,000 a year, and that would certainly include most teachers and firefighters, the vast majority of those earners paid effective tax rates of no more than 15%. So the point is, no matter which way you calculate the number or the group, the 3% number is off. Now, to be fair, it is certainly appropriate to argue what those rates should ultimately be, whether maybe 25% is too low or too high, But if we are going to argue about it, we should probably be in the same ballpark of facts, shouldn't we? And on this one, Mr. Biden does fall short. And by the way, 
That is not analysis or opinion. Those are just the facts. With that, we move on to our second report of the morning. And we are going to talk about your pocketbook, folks. And for this one, you might want to grab a map on your phones or computers or in your minds. Come with me this morning to the small cities of Lewiston, Idaho, and Clarkston, Washington. They sit on the confluence of the Snake and Clearwater Rivers, named, of course, after the famous explorers of the West, Lewis and Clark. Looking at a map, though, you would not think that either Lewiston or Clarkston are port cities. They are 450 miles inland from the Pacific Ocean, after all, but they are port cities, all because of a series of dams. In fact, there are four dams on the Snake River, that then lead to the mighty Columbia River, where you would find another four dams, which of course give you passage all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And because of those eight dams, you can navigate boats of all kinds from Lewiston all the way to the Pacific Ocean, especially barges, and you can do it year round. And a lot of people do navigate those waters year round. In fact, here's something you might not know. That river system transports 40% of America's wheat. And that stuff is harvested on farms in what's called the Palouse country and in eastern Oregon. But it's not just wheat farmers that benefit from those river systems and those dams. The Pacific Northwest has some of the cheapest electricity in the country because of them. In fact, enough for 10 cities the size of Seattle. Finally, the dams also serve to protect people and businesses living along those rivers, all from seasonal flooding. And that's pretty important in this part of America. One of the more famous examples was all the way back in 1948 during what is called the Memorial Day Flood. 16,000 people lost their homes near Portland at the time. Over 100 people died, all because of a massive melt-off of snow after a warm snap. But no matter those benefits, because environmental groups and native tribes say, we need those dams gone. And here is why. They argue that these massive cement structures destroy populations of fish, especially salmon, steelhead, and bull trout, amongst others. And while it is true, they say, that the dams have things called fish ladders to get these fish up and over, they don't work very well. And that leaves the fish stuck downstream. And when that happens, those fish are unable to spawn, and that pushes various species much closer to extinction. In other words, there are very big stakes in this argument with very, very big and important stakeholders. In fact, it's an argument that has been quite nasty since the 1940s when many of these dams were first built. But the argument may be over, or at least one step closer to it, all because of a secret deal between the Biden White House and the groups of environmentalists and indigenous tribes who want those dams gone. So here's what we know. Back on November 2nd, Mr. Biden's administration entered into a secret 34-page deal with these various groups as they were, in fact, plaintiffs in a lawsuit seeking to rip those dams out. And here's the essence of the deal. The four upper dams, the ones that allow Lewiston and Clarkston to be port cities to get their goods all the way to the Pacific, well, those dams would be removed, and the cost to remove them would be in the billions. Plus, the federal government would also spend billions more dollars to restore the rivers to what they were in the 1940s. It's unclear, though, if that would include the billions of dollars needed for new or updated levee systems to, of course, deal with the flooding that would naturally start occurring in cities like Portland. Third, you as taxpayers would be on the hook to spend billions more dollars on new electricity plants as millions of Americans in the Northwest would otherwise face blackouts once their hydropower were gone. Now, interestingly, the new plants would be mostly natural gas, 
and they would be placed on indigenous tribal grounds owned by the tribes. Fourth and finally, Biden's team would study how to build out new systems of road and rail to see how or if all that wheat could get to market once the barges were gone. Although I should emphasize something. We're not just talking about wheat. That area of the inland northwest grows all sorts of ag products that you buy, like apples, peas, carrots, alfalfa. All of them are either irrigated by or transported by these rivers and the dam systems. There's also, I should note, a lot of timber that gets barged down those rivers, too, from the forests of Oregon and northern Idaho especially. In other words, my friends, you might not know it, but your pocketbook would almost certainly get hit if or when these dams come out, no matter, in fact, where you live, all to save some fish, which raises an issue. It's not clear that the fish would actually benefit from these breaches of the dams. We've got two major studies from the federal government on this that are in conflict with each other. One study says that fish uh, fish populations are declining because of warming oceans, while another study says it's probably the dams. But nevertheless, the dams on at least the upper Snake River may be coming out, at least according to the secret agreement that Biden and his team signed back on November 2nd. Although not so fast to say some outraged members of Congress They are reminding the White House this morning that it is Congress that has statutory authority to decide the future of these dams. It is not something that Biden can do on his own. To which the White House is saying, well, nothing, at least so far. But it is likely to get a lot more attention as this secret deal and the courts start to consider it. And then Congress battles it out. So those are the facts and data out of the Northwest this morning with the removal of those dams there impacting Americans everywhere. Let me pivot now to three pieces of analysis and opinion for your consideration. First, removing these dams comes with another cost for Mr. Biden that we should talk about, and that is his so-called green energy revolution. All right, as we all know, hydropower creates no carbon dioxide emissions when the power is created, but natural gas, that's certainly not the case. In fact, Estimates are that the new plants that would be needed to produce the Northwest electricity after all the dams were taken out, well, those would produce the same emissions as 420,000 cars annually. So it seems a little bit odd for the White House that is so otherwise consumed by climate change to want to do this. Second, it's hard to capture in words for you, ladies and gentlemen, the devastation that we would see in the small and medium-sized communities in this part of the country if this dam breaching idea comes to fruition. And I don't mean damage from the flooding. Right? These communities that we're talking about in the Northwest are built on logging, and farming, and ranching economies. And if those were lost or degraded, you would see those places that are already struggling economically face some pretty profound economic and social decay. And I say that with this disclaimer, my family farms and ranches in this area, so I am painfully aware of what would happen. Third, a reasonable person can argue that saving the salmon or the steelhead runs, that those things are very important, perhaps just as important as your pocketbook and saving money at the grocery store, or even saving those humans in their communities where I'm from. I don't agree with that argument, but a reasonable person can make the argument, especially the native tribes, But what is most bizarre to me is that the White House would spend tens of billions of your dollars with a very real chance that it would do next to nothing to solve the fish problem. That just doesn't seem smart or wise. 
Seems like we should be doing some more studying. At any rate, more to come on this, but let's put this on our radars. Because at the very moment that many Americans are struggling with high bills, this damn breaching policy could be another hit to our pocketbooks in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. We'll be right back. My friends, for the past few months, you have heard me talk about Jace Medical. It's the company that provides you medication for emergency use like antibiotics. Also, they get you backup prescriptions for things like cholesterol, diabetes, and blood pressure. And here's why I love Jace Medical so much. If you are a farming or a ranching family or you live in the back 40, it is pretty tough to get a hold of a doctor, to travel to the appointment, get the prescription, you fill it, and so forth. But with Jace Medical, all you have to do is fill out a simple online form and in some cases have a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. And then you get the medication right in the mail. You also get ongoing care from Jace Physicians about any treatment-related questions, which is fantastic. In other words, folks, you get peace of mind, you get convenience, and you get an emergency supply of medicines no matter where you are. And that is great for a lot of people, rural families, folks who are traveling, or those of us who might be a little bit anxious these days about our unpredictable world, and you might prefer to have an emergency supply of medicines on hand. And that's kind of smart. So do what I've done. Go to jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Enter that promo code right W. R-I-G-H-T is the spelling. And when you do, you will get a right report discount. Again, my friends, go to jacemedical.com, promo code right, and get the supply of medicines you need, folks, shipped straight to your door. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now, that doesn't leave me much time to cook. And that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is going to taste like airline food. But no, sir. No, ma'am. These Factor meal kits are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why. You must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Use that promo code right five zero and you're going to get 50% off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W R I G H T five zero. And you're going to go and get 50% off folks. What a deal. Go there and get this stuff today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards international events. Three updates for you this morning from three different corners of the world. We start in Saudi Arabia, where the royal family there has made a pretty remarkable offer to their arch nemesis in Iran. So here's the offer. 
if Tehran stops or dials back its support for terrorism in the region, especially the Gaza Strip, the Saudis will give the Iranians some cash and substantial economic investment. Exact details of this prospective deal are unknown, but the offer has been put forward several times to Tehran over the past month. So here's why this is a big deal. For decades, if not centuries, these two nations or their respective branches of Islam have been at war with each other. Now, roughly speaking, it's like the religious wars between the Catholics and the Protestants in Europe, except there is a lot of oil money in this war. And with those petrodollars, both Iran and Saudi Arabia have fought each other or each other's allies in that region, most especially over the past 50 years. But then recently, just this last spring, the Chinese government brokered a very small preliminary truce or thaw between those two countries. Lots of people were shocked by that at the time, still are. But regardless, things have been dicey between those countries, although better. And now we have this. It's a plan of Saudi cash to buy Iranian peace. Well, that certainly seems good, maybe. But is it? And what explains this possible change of heart by the Saudis? Well, to answer those questions, let me pivot from facts and data to my analysis and opinion, plus what this means for you. First, the Saudi crown prince, he is known by his initials MBS, he's trying to revolutionize and diversify his country and his economy. He's trying to move it from mostly oil to, well, a lot of other things. But that is pretty tough to do if the Middle East is on fire as it is right now. Investors, of course, get spooked off. So he's asking Iran effectively to just knock it off, at least in these Palestinian territories, and stop blowing stuff up. Second, it may be that Iran is interested in this deal because their economy is just in a tank. They've got profound unemployment amongst younger people in Iran. Plus, they've had ongoing protests in that country about, well, geez, being isolated from the rest of the world, debates about how religious they should be. So this deal with Saudi Arabia could be appealing to Tehran, a chance to escape international sanctions, build up their economy, and maybe settle down the people. And hey, who knows, perhaps have peace with their Muslim brothers in Saudi Arabia. One reason to be skeptical, though, Iran's religious leaders and their military commanders are centrally focused on their longtime goal of destroying both Israel and the United States. In fact, they've been doing it for decades. And so it is likely that they're not super interested, frankly, in peace and progress that the Saudis are offering them because, well, if they did, they would have to abandon those longtime goals. However, it could be that we could perhaps change Iran's mind if they were, say, profoundly hammered, both economically and militarily, even beyond what they currently are. In other words, if Tehran believed that they were on the ropes and running out of other options, perhaps they would take this lifeline from the Saudis. But as listeners might recall, that probably won't happen. The Biden White House continues to offer Tehran billions of dollars in indirect aid. Plus, we've got our foreign policy with them of don't when it comes to Iran attacking our U.S. troops. And that has not been working, as we've discussed. As you all know, Iran's terror groups have attacked our troops in the Middle East over 70 times in just the past month. So bottom line on this, let's watch and see what Tehran does with this offer from the Saudis. I'm skeptical, but if the Saudis can pull this off, we could see some very interesting movement towards broader peace in the Middle East. And that is certainly good for not only those folks over there, but for us here too. 
As we all know, we have fought more than a few wars over there, and if the Saudis could manage to push Iran towards peace, perhaps we might fight no more. With that, we are off to Ukraine this morning for an update on this next question. Will the people of Ukraine support a peace deal where they give Russia a part of their territory? Well, the answer to that question has long been no or heck no, but that answer might be changing. Bloomberg News reports a new poll out of Ukraine that shows 40% of the people there would support becoming a member of NATO even if they had to give up territory lost to the Russians. Of course, that means that a majority of the poll's respondents, or 53%, said no, they would not give up any territory to the Russians, but 40% in favor? It's pretty shocking, certainly since the war started when only 10% were in favor of this idea. So what does that tell us, going from 10% to 40%? Now, let me pivot to my analysis and opinion for that. After nearly two years of war, here is something horrible that I wish I didn't know. Ukraine has lost not just territory, but 70,000 people died, 100,000 more wounded. Plus, Ukraine's top general has admitted that Kiev has at most 500,000 more troops. Russia, he said, has 1.3 million, and that's without Moscow instituting a national draft. So I think that there is probably a growing realization in Ukraine, as painful as it is, that they face very long odds of victory. And absent the United States sending in our troops, the most that they can hope for is a bloody stalemate. And I think that is why 40% of them say it's time to sue for peace, even if we as Ukrainians have to give up part of our country. So let's see whether these poll numbers continue to shift as they have been over these past two years. And if it does, if these numbers continue to drift further and further towards a willingness to give up territory, that underlines the argument by the Biden White House and, frankly, Europe, that we should continue to invest heavily in this war when, frankly, the people who are fighting it are ready for peace. Finally, this morning, we are off to Taiwan. All because the current president there said this just yesterday. Quote, perhaps this is not a time for China to consider a major invasion of Taiwan. I think the Chinese leadership is overwhelmed by its internal challenges. End quote. Well, okay, that certainly begs the question, what are the challenges? Well, the main one is economic. And to understand part of that, let's talk about debt. As listeners know, China loans out a lot of money to countries all around the world as part of what's called its debt trap diplomacy. And that has left those nations globally at least $1.3 trillion in the hole, making Beijing the largest debt collector in the world. But here's something you might not know. The Chinese have a debt trap problem of their own. And here's why. For the past 20 years, Beijing has grown its domestic economy in no small part through massive debt issued by cities, provinces, and corporations. We're talking tens of trillions of bucks. And they use that money to build some of the most expansive infrastructure projects in modern human history, from bridges, train systems, roads, electricity plants. Meanwhile, Chinese consumers and real estate builders, they took on massive debt levels too, building and buying into high-rise buildings with the belief that values would only go up. In other words, wild speculation. And that frenzied speculation is now coming to an end. 
the economy softened during and after the COVID pandemic. Also, President Xi, he developed a bit of a dictator complex that frightened off some very important foreign investment. And finally, there is a shocking amount of unemployment amongst the young people in that country, at least 21%, although Beijing stopped sharing that actual number in June of this year because it was just so darn bad. So those awful macroeconomic trends has led to this. Property valuations have fallen off a cliff, especially for those home buyers who were speculating with their second or third investment properties. And in turn, that has led to a growing crisis where a lot of debtors and construction companies are now defaulting on their loans. We're talking about billion-dollar companies who are now unable to service even their interest payments. So that's the economic mess on Beijing's hands this morning and is pushing them to adopt some increasingly risky solutions to stave off what would be a collapse of their debt markets, some of their banks, and perhaps a big chunk of their economy. If this is somewhat confusing, let me give you an an analogy that we might remember. Back in 2007, we had the Great Recession, largely because of speculation in our housing market and a lot of bad loans. A lot of money went to people that it shouldn't have. So China is facing a roughly similar situation, and they are trying to get out of it using some pretty risky solutions. For instance, they've ordered some cities and provinces to actually get people to start speculating again. They're demanding that lenders lower the amount of money that is required for a down payment. Meanwhile, for corporations, especially those real estate builders, Beijing is now weighing whether to force local banks to offer them unsecured loans all to make those guys more liquid. And to give you a sense of things, those builders definitely need some more liquid help. And to give you a sense of how much, Chinese real estate builders are about a half a trillion dollars short of the money that they need to finish all their various projects, many of which are half built. Indeed, you might have heard about Chinese ghost cities where mile after mile of high rises are half complete and half empty. Now, I should note that there is a lot of debate about how bad this liquidity and debt crisis really is because understanding the severity of the problem obviously requires accurate data to assess it. But nobody seems to have that data. In fact, China admits as much. Last week, Chinese officials said that figures from local banks about the health of their balance sheets, quote, do not truly reflect the actual situation, end quote. Well, that sounds bad. So to summarize, folks, For the last 20 years, the Chinese built their economy in no small part on debt. And that created what we now see to be a speculative bubble. And it was across the entire nation, across multiple sectors, and it included average consumers. And now that bubble, it's popping, with the communists scrambling to manage it, trying to avoid an economic calamity, similar to what we had to do back in 2007. And that's a big reason for why I think Taiwan's president said this week that Beijing might be a little bit preoccupied right now, running short of cash, perhaps, leading Beijing to hold off on invading anytime soon. Of course, we should ask, is she right? Well, we'll see. The Chinese government issued a response yesterday, shooting down her suggestion and insisted that they will reunify Taiwan with mainland China soon enough. But either way, there are some pretty big implications for us here in America. We've authorized hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to Taiwan just this year. Plus, Mr. Biden has promised to defend that island because, well, that is the commitment that we made to them decades ago. So, some pretty big stakes, my friends. More to come.
with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. Just one quick thing before I let you go. I want to leave you with some gratitude as we depart for the weekend. Last week on Thanksgiving, I did a special for you on my family's journey to and in this country. We traveled across the Atlantic Ocean in the 1600s, then onto the Oregon Trail in the 1850s. Then I offered up some, I think, pretty fun stories from the decades since. You might recall the Methodist grandfather of mine burning down the church. And then we had the naughty cousin who took the wool crop and spent it on booze, gambling, and dancing girls. By the way, everybody in my family knows that story even still 100 years later. Well, anyway. Meanwhile, over the past three months since I offered you all paid subscriptions, I've gotten so many great emails, such tremendous support. In fact, I got even more yesterday after that episode. So I want to say to you, after eight months from launching The Right Report, thank you. And more to come. To that point, I'm working with Substack to do a once-a-month episode using video where listeners can ask uh, me questions live and we interact. So the goal there would be to bring you more quality content and have a lot of fun. Ultimately, more value for your money. That is, of course, for paid subscribers. I'm excited about making that happen, by the way. Substack is currently tinkering on the technology to make it happen. Probably will occur after the first of the year. Until then, please know, ladies and gentlemen, that I am so grateful to each and every person who listens to this podcast. And as ever, for my paid subscribers and donors, this is your show, right? Ad revenue just doesn't cut it and probably never will. But your generosity certainly does. So thank you. Thank you for letting me, frankly, live out my dream. And thanks for helping me share America and the world with so many people. As always, my friends, I'm going to see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.